0: All right, it's, uh, it's always great to see all you guys here, <clears throat> to hear the real message about AA and about God. And uh, it gives me great pleasure to introduce the guy that talks about it a lot, Peter. <clears throat> <Okay. clears throat> My name is Peter. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Uh, grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous And uh, thank uh, Rachel and James for having me here, it a kind invitation, having me back uh, And participate in one of these uh, talks, workshops over the next uh, six or nine months I'm going to be here, right? Something like that uh, <laughs> James saw the basket, he says you're not leaving, but... Uh, uh, great, glad to be here. I, I get excited about uh, being around like-minded folks who are talking about the book, experiencing the book, uh, wanting to know about the book, uh, because what they are looking for is God. And one of the things I found out, I've walked down lots of dark alleys in my day and have been in very compromising positions. And what I was always searching for was some sort of relief, some sort of freedom, some sort of utopia, something to take me from where I am to a better place and I was drowning in a bottle of whiskey for a long time. And that boomeranged in its flight and cut me to ribbons, as Bill says in his story, and in 1988 left me a dead store and I really thought AA, treatment, priest, my, my Catholicism, nothing would work for me. Because where I was searching, I always wound up with me anyway. And then something indescribably wonderful happened to me. Uh, the last place in the world I ever wanted to land was an Alcoholics Anonymous, and the last spirit being person I ever wanted to have a relationship was uh, with rather was with the God and uh, but God kind of circled the wagons and placed me in Alcoholics Anonymous and then in Alcoholics Anonymous introduces him to me and somehow we find this relationship I find this relationship with me and this God and now it's the most important relationship in my life and I love Alcoholics Anonymous the two things that I couldn't see with my own mind My plans and designs looked a lot different than where I am right now, but God, in his infinite mercy, took me to a place called Alcoholics Anonymous, took me from a scrap heap to a level of life better than the best I've ever known. And that's why in our meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, we should never apologize for the glory of God, for the power of God, or the great experiences we get to have in Alcoholics Anonymous because of God. And so that's what this workshop is going to look like, because what the book does is drive us to God. What Alcoholics Anonymous does is drive us to God, and nothing less than that great fact. And if our group, our home group, our sponsor, our AA community is not doing that, fix it. Don't run away from it. Fix it, because that's what AA was about, taking broken spirits, broken people, broken toys like I am, rudderless with no direction, and placing me in Alcoholics Anonymous, and suddenly I have a purpose and a direction for life so I'm very grateful to be here cuz we're going to get to talk and get to hopefully experience about what God does and AA does for us. It's way beyond making a meeting. 90 meetings in 90 days does not treat alcoholism. If you're a good marathon runner, maybe you can do that. But the belief system in a lot of our contemporary AA meetings is that 90 meetings in 90 days is somehow Shangri-La and I will find utopia and I'll be Moses at the end of 90 days. All right? But meetings don't treat alcoholism. It's one part of our, of, of our legacy. Now, some people can subscribe to making meetings, and they're great. Probably not the alcohol described in a big book on page 21. Probably real hard drinkers who can live off this camaraderie and fellowship, and they find a life that's joyous, happy, and free. But when we study our history and we look at the, the, the members of our fellowship, meeting makers get drunk and meeting makers die. Some make it. So my question to new people, are you willing to toss the dice with your life and subscribe to just making meetings when you have this in front of us, when we have the 12 and 12 waiting for us, and God is preparing a banquet for you, and God is pursuing you, and God's begging for a relationship with everyone in this room regardless of where we've been, and we settle for just making a meeting and go home to me. Because every time I would leave a meeting, I went home to me. And the hideous four horsemen rolled around on my head thinking of things to get me drunk again. So I'm very grateful to where I've been placed. But the road where I've been placed is a narrow road and a narrow gate to which we're going to walk through. It's a wide road. It's a wide gate that many pass through to destruction. It's easy to walk through that gate. It's instant gratification. It's ego. It's pride. It's all the things that I want. It's episodes. It's drama. It's great. It's walking through. It's great. But then comes the the emotional hangover the next morning. And I'm wondering, how come I can't get to where some of those few in AA are? Because only your few in AA are there. When it's open to everyone, it's all inclusive, not exclusive, Alcoholics Anonymous, because it's a narrow road and a narrow gate. And only few will pass through, which means I need to be disciplined. And the only one who's going to discipline me, perhaps via a sponsor, is God. And so what do I do 25 years later? I surrender to this loving power and, and beg for his mercy to keep me on a course, a narrow path. Because in the narrowing of the path, there's a tremendous amount of freedom. In discipline, there's freedom. And the narrow road turns out to be Shangri-La. It's a wide open road. But the great thing about walking that road is I'm not there anymore. I've often joked, I hope I never show up for a talk. I hope I don't show up anywhere. I hope I'm so integrated and experience oneness with God that I, Peter Marinelli, are long gone. And what you get is the spirit. What I get from you is your spirit. But that requires a dismantling of the ego and a dismantling of self. The death of self before the physical death. That's a narrow road. Not everyone wants to walk through it. We know any of us who sponsored men, get them to step four, they disappear. They got my A on you. They're gone. Because we're starting to look at self, and my problem is me, and we're going to take a sledgehammer to every facet. And most folks, I'm going to go to don't drink and go to meetings then. And we see them in five years and hanging around or getting another white chip. At some point, I had to take responsibility for my recovery. I didn't know what that was going to look like or where I was going to go, what that was going to entail. But I just knew I wanted to stay sober more than I wanted to get drunk, and that provided me with some spirit of going to any lengths, which this process requires. God doesn't care what I drive and what I wear, or where I live, or how much money I got in my pocket. If there's a reason I have money because I'm supposed to do something and God provided me with the money. But that's not a requirement to get well. Cell phones are not a requirement to get well. I, got, I, grew, I grew up in a with no cell phones. There's no such thing as a cell phone. Suddenly, nowadays, I need a cell phone and then we text on a meeting, I don't get this. Right? June 23rd, 1988, God separated me from alcohol. I didn't quit drinking that day. I didn't put the plug in the jug that day. I didn't make a decision to quit drinking. I want to go to treatment or AA. It was done for me. And many of us can probably identify with this. We get surrendered. I was surrendered on June 23rd, 1988. I was presented with this deal. There was no other way, because God says enough, I have other work for you to do. There was no way, even if I wanted to drink that day, that I was going to drink. I got surrendered, and I got pulled from a scrappy to a level of life better than the best I've known. And my job is to keep the torch lit and keep walking, chopping wood and carrying water, and pass it on to someone else to ensure my recovery. I don't sponsor men to say, those are the men I sponsor. Look at this, what a great job I'm doing. My life depends on the next newbie. My life depends upon my relationship with God. My life depends upon service and being part of this fellowship. It's what I love. It's what I adore. It's what I honor. And it all points me to God. But I can't love Alcoholics Anonymous and want to run around with women. I can't love Alcoholics Anonymous and have to be uh, hungry for money. I can't worship two masters. I'll love one and hate the other. I'll cling to one and despise the other. It's not going to work. A house divided against itself can't stand. I'm either all in. I'm a journeyman. When I got surrendered June of 1988, I wanted what people in AA had to offer, but not all. We come into AA, we're not stupid. We're street smart. We can spot the players. I was not attracted to the womanizers in Alcoholics Anonymous. I was not attracted to the women who are running around with men. I was attracted to the quiet people who walk softly and carry a big book. I was attracted to men who were married and wore their wedding ring. I thought that was something special. Who looked nice at the podium. Who weren't preaching but shouting about the word of God. Who weren't lecturing but shouting about the word of God. And they all got that information in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, and I wanted what they had to offer. I said, try to be like them, sound like them, hang around them. They were put in my path because I was open enough to hear... The teachers, they were put in my path. In 1985, those men were there, I didn't like them. 1986, they were there, I didn't like them. 1987, they were there, I didn't like them. June 23rd, 1988, I was running to them. And the same people I met in AA during the 80s, the same counselors I would see in treatment during the 80s who I despised, I ran to because I knew they shouted an answer. They spoke truth and they weren't interested in my feelings. They didn't care about my feelings. They cared more about saving my life. And we know when we're going to save someone's life, we're going to hurt their feelings. We're not in a feelings fixing business in AA, we're in a life fixing business in AA. <coughs> my journey in recovery didn't start with, start with step one. A lot of beliefs as my journey started in step one. My journey started in recovery with someone else's 12 step. Where they bear witness for me. They were carrying the message. <coughs> where they walked into a room and walked with dignity and integrity. And they were looking for a new person. That was me. I didn't look good. I didn't sound good. As my friend Mark says, I had edges. I was from the street. I mean literally in the street. I didn't come from Park Ami. I came out of an abandoned building into detox, into treatment, into AA. I didn't trust anyone, but they understood that, and I had no money, and they got that. But my journey in recovery came from men who were practicing the 12-step because I saw what they had and I wanted what they had to offer. The huge responsibility we have in AA for standing tall with the big book and talking about God because we don't know who the next person that we're going to be around that's going to ask us to help what sort of example am i setting now 25 years later i hope a good job i beg my god to let me bear witness of his work to others no more wavering well i don't want to sponsor him i'll sponsor him i don't know about this guy looks like a rough case i'll give him to james i don't have time for this no wavering <laughs> james only has one sponsee so he's open <clears throat> careful what you tell me man i tell everybody no wavering, can't be wavering on this path, those of us who did drugs and the, and the drunks in here, if there was a drink here, you didn't say, um, let me get back to you 90 days, I'll tell you if I want to smoke that crack, I'll get back to you, <laughs> <clears throat> right. you know, the bartender said, this is, you know, you buy two to third ones on the house, you didn't say, no, no, that's okay, give it to the guy at the end of the bar, <laughs> you were on it, right, no wavering, when I'm wavering, I'm double-minded. And like the ocean gets pushed by the wind. That's how I do AA. I didn't drink like that. No double-mindedness. All in, journeyman. But that presents me with a the, with the, with the, uh, 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 consideration. How bad was my bottom? Whether it was Park Avenue or Park Bench, emotional pain, that's what brought me in here. I had been beat up and tore up and arrested and homeless and probably had another run in me. But the emotional bottom I couldn't do. I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror anymore. I despise what was looking back. That doesn't feel good, but it was a great thing. I'm blessed to have the bottom I did of being homeless and experiencing daily humiliation and degradation. Having no family, them cutting, uh, cutting cutting me off from everything. Closing doors. Thank God. There was nowhere else to turn. That's why this was the last place I was looking for. And in the desperation, the gift of desperation that we get, I begged the same God I scoffed at and cursed. Please take me from this. And he built another bridge. And a bridge that was easy to cross. God will not give me a bridge that's difficult to cross. That's not a loving God. Built the bridge all the time. And every time I pushed God away, built another bridge. It was up to me to cross. I was so beat up. In June of 88, to walk across the bridge, I probably needed some help, and my Heavenly Father, the carpet, to reach out and pull me across. Because the intent to get well was pure. And that's what we have to look at when we're on this deal, whether around here for the first time or the 50th time. Is my intent pure? Or do I have reservations on what my life really should look like? I need a sponsor. I want to go to AA, but I got a lot of other stuff going on, too. Then you're not ready. I hate to break the bad news to you. This has to come first. Everything else is a distant second. A distant second. That was the conditions I met. Thank God. Because if there was anything else I had to do besides recovery, you have a different speaker here tonight. This was it. I'm grateful I didn't have a relationship. I'm grateful I didn't have a car, a phone, a job, or money, or a home. This was it. This was my home. And I need AA a lot more 25 years later than AA needs me. If I don't show up, James, James will get another speaker. A million people can do this. I don't show up, I'm in trouble. Unmanageability. We can get it. I got it in AA. We think unmanageability, my belief system coming in was the unmanageability in the second half of the first step was having specifically to do with the drink. Well, on the front end, yeah, I'm always an alcoholic. I'm never going to be cured, but I get recovered, which is the first promise in the big book on a title page recover. It doesn't say, listen, you're going to be recovering for the next, you know, eternity. Oh my God, give me a double now. Right on the title page. But I had to be all in. So I'm grateful for all the things that were removed from me because this was it. And I locked into what was being offered to me without reservations, without a lurking notion. I was done. It doesn't mean at the beginning, by the way, that I wasn't thinking about drinking. I was thinking about drinking a lot. I'm a real alcoholic. I think about drinking. When the sun comes up and the sun comes down, when I'm in a good mood or a bad mood, mostly in a bad mood, I need a drink. And somehow that obsession to drink alcohol was removed via the 12 steps which took me to God. Unmanageability and alcoholics. My first six months in AA, I did not look recovered. I was experiencing bouts of depression and bouts of euphoria, acting out every way you can think. Food sprees, sex sprees, money sprees, you name it, I I was all there. You took my medicine away, I'm left in the raw, again. Drinking works, I pour drink on that, I'm okay. You put me in a corner, I won't bother you. Remove the drink and I'm all over like a raw nerve. What do I do? The only remedy was going to be God, and I was driven by a hundred forms of fear. That's unmanageability that we get in AA without a drink in us. That's why I don't get meeting makers make it. I just pulled a drink away from you. Page 51 says, they, uh, uh, leaving the drink question aside, they tell why living was so unsatisfactory. These men and women, let's put the drink aside. We're sober. My life is still not right. I'm missing something. At some point, my mind will trickle me back to a drink just to get some relief for a little bit. I just need to calm down a bit. The problem is civilians, after a tough day, can have a martini and watch TV and go to bed and go to work the next morning. I have a drink. I have a Jack Daniels. It takes two, then four, and then eight, and then I'm gone. Because I have a phenomenon called craving, my mind will pretty up a junkyard to get me back to a drink. Page 52 talks about the bedevilments. Current unmanageability. torment, frustrate, and harass. That's what bedevilment means. Things that torment, frustrate, and harass me. If I had a roommate or a neighbor who tormented, frustrated, and harassed me, if I was in a relationship with a woman who tormented me, frustrated, that was my ex-wife, what am I talking about? (laughs) We would leave. Yet with alcoholism, we keep inviting it in. Expecting different results. Current and management leads to bouts of depression, anxiety, full of fear, all of it. At some point, I'm going to drink over it. How I didn't drink during my first six months uh, is grace. But there's a difference between getting God's grace, which we all have, just because it, we've inherited that. It's part of our inheritance. It's part of our DNA. As a lo- as a loving God gives to His children, it's grace which spares me from the drink. There's a difference with that and having a relationship with God. Because I can have grace and still be acting out. I can have grace and still have some fear. I can have grace and still have resentments. And eventually I'll walk away. So buffer the grace of God is great, but we don't only want to have grace. But I need more. I needed more than just God's grace. I need to have a relationship with this power. My book says we admitted with are powerless over alcohol that our lives become unmanageable. If I'm in AA a while, and I happen to be one of those folks who are going through the 12 steps, here's the question. As I go through the 12 steps, and I complete four, and I get into five, and I'm looking at defects, and I'm into nine and 10, 11, and 12, as I got further away from step one, have I gotten further away from step one, or have I been driven deeper into step one and the need for power? Because what can happen to many is as we move down the shade, And we get into 10, 11, and 12, and we get our Moses wings on us, and I can't make coffee anymore. That's below me. I don't have time for sponsorship. I can't go to that meeting in the hood. We have these conditions on our sobriety. I've gotten further away from step one. I'm running the show, but my ego will never reveal that. My ego will say, you're doing great. It's cool. You're good. You don't need to pray. You don't need to write inventory. Look at you. You're gold. You're great. And what I have found is by going through the 12 steps, with the pure intent to get well, taking a a gut check on every part of my being, it drove me further into step one and my real powerlessness and my brokenness, drunk or sober. I'm an alcoholic, drunk or sober, and cannot manage my own life, drunk or sober. No human power can relieve me of my alcoholism, drunk or sober. It drove me further into, Father, please take me from this, save me. My biggest enemy is me. I don't have to worry about a hell's angel guy sitting at a bar going to beat me up. I will kill me before he does. I will destroy me. And you know how we are. If I'm miserable, I'm making you miserable too. Right? You know how we are. Forty-three pages in my big book drive me drive me into a corner, drive me into powerlessness, drive me into no power choice control in the mind before I pick up a drink, no power choice control in the body after I pick up a drink, and I get bookended over and over and over again, and I try to get myself some sort of control, get myself out of this jam only to go back again because that's all I do. As an alcoholic, step one tells me I'm going to drink. 43 pages drive that to me over and over and over again. They paint me into a corner with no way out. Book is full of promises, and warnings, and some considerations, and before we get going, I I just want to put this out there, I challenge, I'm not even in charge of what I'm saying tonight, I get pushed, and some of the pushing that comes from another place to you is challenging, I challenge But it's not about right and wrong. Please get that, especially new folks. This isn't about fault finding and right and wrong. And if you never did the steps before, you're still a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you know the big, big book sideways, you're still a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's not about right and wrong. Let's compare who's more spiritual because if I'm doing that, I've missed everything. It's about attraction and not promotion. Perhaps there's someone sitting here with double-digit sobriety who's not right. The ego's just in charge. And if we start saying, I'm right and you're wrong, they'll never ask for help. I have to build a bridge the way the carpenter built one for me. So it's not about right and wrong. It's about raising the level of awareness, which is the greatest agent for change. Let's raise the level of awareness, and let's be open-minded. It's a great prayer. God, please let me lay aside everything I think I know about the big book, 12 Steps, AA, and you, God, for an open-minded, a new experience. God, please let me see my truth. My mind's going to not let me see my truth. My mind's going to give me the truth it wants me to see. And my truth looks like this. I got this false being running around. I judge me in all my accomplishments, all my friends, the money in my pocket, what I drive, who likes me, popularity contest. That gives me a sense of me. That's who I am. Remove one of those things from the equation. I'm down on my knees begging for a drink again. That's not, what, that's not God's path. I can stand before my God in the roy. I can stand before you with all the cracks in my arm and say, this is who I be. A child of God worshiping my God and a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's enough. So let's raise the level of awareness over the next few weeks. Just some considerations on the challenges. If 90 meetings in 90 days works for you and your joy is happy and free, go for it. And if it's not, change. My grand sponsor would always ask us, based on what you've been doing, how's that working for you? So if I'm doing the 90 and 90 deal and I'm doing another, I'm going to do another 90 and 90 and it becomes this chore, this arduous test, another 90 and over and over and you're just not right. How's that working for you? I don't make a meeting a night. I'm home. I like to read. I like to pray. I like to watch a couple of things on TV. I like to get phone calls. I like to go for dinner. I'm home and I'm in AA. AA is always first. I make meetings. So just some considerations. Did I experience the phenomenal cold craving when I picked up a drink? Did I power choice control over when I was going to stop and when I was going to start? If I was a real alcoholic like me, I had no control over the stopping or the starting. I had intentions to stop after two, but you pulled me out of an after hours that, that morning. I'm not going to drink. I make a powerful desire, firm resolution. I'm never going to drink again. I'm done. I'm so done. It's all over. I'm not going to do it. And 10 minutes later, I'm sucking on a pint of Mr. Boston. Everything changes because the mind is the trickster. And that is where the main problem is. And they talk about that in chapter 2 Agnostics. Right thinking is not going to get me sober. It didn't work for me. Positive affirmations. I try that. I remember being in treatment writing, I am a child of God. I am a good guy. (laughs) What? I need a drink. Remember where I come from. Keep it green. If I dropped a a kilo of cocaine in front of you coke would you keep it green or the coke? Keep it green. I'm diving in head first. It doesn't work for real life. It didn't work for me. I'll say that. It didn't work for me. All of that stuff was given to me by loving people who didn't have a solution. It was a middle of the road solution. As a real alcoholic, a middle of the road solution, I'm getting drunk. I need something with depth and weight, which is what Doctor's Opinion talks about. What are you giving me? Are you speaking my language? When you talk to me about the shakes in the morning, I lock in, you're like me. When you talk about getting out of jail and running right to the liquor store, you're like me, I lock in, I identify with you. All of the the, uh, the trials and tribulations out there, I identify with that, Park Avenue, Park Bench, but I certainly identify with the obsession, phenomenon called craving, and this huge God problem, the third part of this problem. The obsession, the phenomenon called craving, and the spiritual malady. And no slogan's gonna fix that. No positive thinking's gonna work that fix that. No treatment center's going to fix that. It's my what I had to do is a total surrender to God. I'm done. I don't care where I go, where I live, or anything I don't care about money, I just please I don't wanna die. Those are the conditions. Narrow road. So where do I sit tonight? Perhaps I'm sitting here, I'm saying, boy, this speaker doesn't know what he's talking about. I don't identify with anything. That's okay. Maybe on the here, in here on the false, you know, pretenses, you're not an alcoholic. And if we discover, because this has happened, some of us come to AA and try the 12 steps, just don't lock in. It's not because we don't want to. We're just not Alcoholic. People have told us we're alcoholic because we got a bunch of DWIs that landed in treatment. Being in treatment doesn't qualify me as an alcoholic. Getting DWIs doesn't qualify me for an alcoholic. I've got all those things. What qualifies me as the real alcoholic on page 21, obsession, phenomenal, craving, spiritual malady. Can I control the stopping and the starting? And only we know that at a gut level. What's frightening is we consider the meeting of AA a big book meeting. They've given us the solution. And I see it over and over again. Folks aren't buying in. They shut down, become deaf, dumb, and blind. I did it. I remember sitting in treatment AA meetings, electrifying speakers would come in, and I look at my watch, I got to get out of here. You know why? They weren't boring. They weren't offensive. They were presenting the truth for me, and my ego couldn't handle it. My mind wanted no part of God or truth because that might get me well, and the ego might die. The mind might die. So we got to leave. I'll get more coffee. I got to use the restroom. I can eat some fresh air. I got a day. I got to get out of here. Ease God right out. I made a surrender again, December 22nd, 1988. I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous, making some meetings, and I, someone brings me to a meeting in Minnesota called the Three Legacies Meeting. I saw men and women looking sober, men and women getting to the podium dressed in suits with the Big Book, talking about the solution God, talking about living equally in all three sides of the triangle. In order to be current, I need to have a relationship with God and living in all three sides of the triangle. I wanted what they had to offer. They were talking about this solution. December 22nd, 1988, almost six months to the day of being in meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous and acting out and looking like a drunk without a drink in me, broken still, and making meetings, full of fear. I wanted to drink and I went looking to get drunk or take powder, just something to get me away from me. It was on me again. Our book talks about calamity. It isn't on calamity out there. Calamity that's going on in my head. I put my head on a very comfortable pillow at night, but my heart was in much discomfort. My heart was yearning for something. My mind says, "I know it'll fix this." So we lay down in a nice comfortable bed with a nice comfortable pillow and a nice comforter over us to keep us warm, and everything looks good. Where is my heart lying at night? What's that look like? How far away has my heart gotten from God, from AA, from recovery? Am I looking for him or her to fix it? It ain't going to work. It's a quick fix. And I knew that. And God orchestrated that whole deal because instead of going to a bar, I got up on a highway and I was going to go to this guy Joe's house and I kept thinking, well, I'll get a drink on the next exit. I'll get a drink at the next exit. Next thing I know, get off the exit, I'm by his house, I'll just make a turn before I go in and I knock on a door. And I sat with Joe and I told him about my tales of woe in AA, how this is not working, I'm in serious trouble. And he just let me go and then he stopped me and he said this question and I repeated this from a million podiums. He said to me, Peter, where are you with? God? God in the 12 steps. I said, when do you start the steps? He said, when you start throwing up, you're late. He didn't say, let's read page 449 in acceptance and talk about our feelings tonight. (laughs) He knew I was going to get annoyed with that. He didn't care. He cut right through it. He had the armor of God and a very big sword and cut right through it, which is what we need to do with new people sometimes. or oh, those of us who have been around, the ego has insulated itself. We need to go to work. No time to worry about feelings and issues. We, you're dying. That was his 12th step to me, save my life. And we began the book. And a short time later, I came home. I was invited back home. Thank God I still have a life of invitation. And I was brought to a group called the Free Spirit Group. And this gentleman Tony N was there. And he was a rough character. He cursed for anything. He had very street guy. But he also had God. He didn't apologize for himself anymore. He loved AA, and he was on with the facts. And I heard him give a talk one night, and he sounded very much like the people at the Three Legacies meeting. And I ran to him. I said, please, can you sponsor me? He says, no. I said, that's not the way this works. (laughs) (laughs) He says, you have to go home and read the preface to page 164. And he showed me in the big book where it says we loaned him a copy of this book. Now, some of us do this different ways, but he took a page right out of the book. He says, you take a week to read this or sooner. You can call me every day if you want. He said, when you're done with the reading, I'll give you some considerations if you want to continue. I finished in a few days because I wanted this guy to help me. I recognized at that point God gave me enough awareness to say, this is is it. This is the guy throwing out a life raft in this sea of alcohol. I'm dying here. I finished it right away, and he asked me some questions. And then we began a journey into step one, and I got to see my alcoholism. I'll share this with you, Uh, I came home from Minnesota. I have two younger brothers. I'm the big brother, I'm supposed to look out for my younger brothers. I'm supposed to provide for them, show them the ropes. If they need money, I'm the big brother, give it to them. Open up a door for them. If they need rent money, I'll take care of you. They were doing all of that for me. And my kid brother had me sleep on his couch when I came home. But I had a sponsor, I was a member of AA. I'm doing the steps, I'm sleeping on my brother's couch. Sleeping is the key word here, because I was sleeping. I wasn't wrestling. I wasn't tossing and turning. And I would wait for the next meeting and wait to get to my sponsor and say, here, I finished my assignment. And he didn't just let me read it. We talked about it. And he pushed and he pushed and he pushed and ripped out what was in me. The process of recovery I found out firsthand is not about addition. We don't need anything. God is, loving God has given us everything we need, all the tools we need to walk this journey that's already been laid out for me. It's about subtraction. It's about removal that we get well and we go home. The process of recovery is about us going home. I didn't need a drink when I was three. I was innocent like all of us. We return, even in our brokenness, to that place of purity, honesty, unselfishness, and love. That's what God has provided for us, and I've trashed it. I'm going to go back. It took some work. Envision for you, it says patience, willingness, and labor. Labor, last I checked, is work. Bringing a shovel to the mountain, start digging. I'm going to get dirty and sweaty and some blisters. So what? I'm going to have utopia as soon as I'm done. And the conversion is I want to give it to you. I'm compelled to pass it on and bear witness for another drunk. That's what Tony and all my sponsors, Mark and Mickey, do now for me. And we began. The removal of self, the self must die. The ego must get grinded into dust. The process of recovery is about removal. And we began this journey. I got to see my isms, that there's something called alcoholism, not wasm. Even though I'm drinking, even though I'm not drinking, I still have alcoholism. I got to talk one time uh, to Paul Martin about this, about reworking the steps. And he said some of the stories in the book that you're reading early on, they don't talk about what they were experiencing after five years of sobriety. They became restless, and discontented because alcoholism was still there. And they needed to rework the steps to kill the ego, to have a new relationship with God, enhance the relationship with God. I love the effect produced by booze. Why do I put limits on God? Am I restless, your own discontented in AA? I better get God. I wrote my first step, shared it with my sponsor, and um, somewhere in there, I had uh, saved up enough money, got my job back, and got my first apartment in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. Little studio apartment, um, no furniture, no telephone, no coffee pot, no food, no toiletries. It was a room, that's how I moved in. And I had some extra money, went down to the store and got some things that I needed, but I had no bed, no nothing and a a person in AA gave me a sleeping bag that night. I don't know if you can use this, they knew I had nothing. People in AA always provided for me. What I see sometimes nowadays is folks putting conditions on what their sobriety is supposed to look like. I was asked a question when I finished the reading. My sponsor says, are you willing to go to Any lens to get recovered? I said yes, so he thought I meant it. Any lens is Any lens, and Any lens is none of my business. Any lens will present itself by God. Am I going to walk through the narrow gate or go with the rest? Am I going to be on this small, narrow path and get free or go with the rest and continue to get sick? Well, any lens meant any lens. And any lens now was in this place with nothing and sleeping in a sleeping bag. I bought some AA bumper stickers. I put them on my door. I put a crucifix above the door. I'm a Catholic. I had scripture and I had a big book. I had a sponsor, I, had a member, I was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I was above ground sucking air and sober. I slept that night in paradise. It was the best night I had in years. I didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. I didn't know if I was going to be working again. I had no clue. There were no attachments to him, her, it. No external conditions were at play. It was me and God and my sponsor and AA. That's enough. I was full every night. My belly was full. Can we be full? Can our belly be full? Can I be grateful when I have nothing? Can I be grateful when my belly's empty? Can I be grateful when I have no money in my pocket? It's easy to be grateful for me when I get what I want. And everyone loves me. (laughs) Can I be grateful when it's bare? The cupboard's bare. And that's what was happening. But God was moving me along. As long as the mustard seed of willingness was there and the intent was pure, God was going to give me paradise. Every day above ground, I'm in AA. I'm experiencing that. I love my life. I hated AA, hated God. I love AA, love God. Love working with others, love giving talks, love having friends. It's my life. I can't imagine anything else. It wasn't that way when I first started. And I started to put some stuff in this place. And then it became a furnished apartment. And I remember once writing my fourth step, all alone late at night, writing my inventory, but I was moving. No attachments to the outcome. If I do this, I can go speak. If I do this, I'm going to be special. There's a lot you don't know about me. I was doing an 11-step one time in Wisconsin, 11-step lecture, and the, the lights started flickering in and out. <laughs> I thought I was important that day, too. <clears throat> felt very spiritual when I was done. Um, I was getting drunk somewhere. What happened? Desperation. Yeah. Desperation. That's the story of my life. <laughs> <Desperation. clears throat> I was writing this fourth step one night, and um, the gift of desperation just to complete it, not to be special or popular. There were no attachments. I was given an assignment, I did it. I wanted to be sober more than I wanted to get drunk. But it all started with step one. The further away you get, get away from step one, am I getting further away from step one? I have a step two problem, I've got a step one problem can't make a decision in three we say we keep taking our will back i got a step one problem can't write inventory given instructions you have a sponsor we see the big book we're following instructions a notepad and pen we're doing everything we're supposed to can't write step four i got a step one problem can't complete amends for whatever reason i have instructions on how to do amends i know the people i'm supposed to go see and i'm not doing it i have a step one problem Falling short in 10 and 11 have a step one problem. Not sponsoring anyone, I have a step one problem. I speak for myself here. Everything trickles back to step one. I was desperate June 23rd, 1988. Where am I 25 years later? Well, the alcohol is not burning on me like it was. The desperation of day one is not on me like it was. But the chase to get God, the desperation to get right with God, to know more of my God is certainly there because our book tells us the problem will be removed and we will outgrow fear. I don't live with that fear anymore. But to know God, to help others, absolutely. And it keeps me chopping wood and carrying water. So my book paints me into a corner. Step one, 43 pages, and then we can throw doctor's opinion in there where he talks about needing the psychic change or the spiritual awakening. He talks about the mental upset, talks about the phenomenon called craving. And I would see men and women in AA who uh, were products of the big book and God who were talking about, I don't even think about drinking anymore. How is that possible? The obsession has not only been lifted, but they're not thinking about drinking and they're talking about living a life of permanent sobriety. Where do I sign up for this? Step 1 tells me I'm going to drink regardless of my best intentions. Where do I go? Which is exactly what the book wants. Chapter 3 more about alcoholism. If we didn't get it, they're going to talk more about it. And and 23 to 43 in our book is specifically aimed at the mind because that's the troublemaker. That is the predator. My mind is my enemy and God will take me from where I am to, you know, outside my comfort level into the middle of the desert and have me look eyeball to eyeball with my own demons. And what it was was me and my mind. What am I going to do about it now? The only place I could go was drink and die or find God. Accept spiritual health or go on to the bitter end is what my book talks about. Trying to blot out that intolerable situation as best I could. Give me another one, give me another one, give me all hours, just keep going. At the end, for me, I was drinking just to survive. It wasn't about good times. And God forbid I should sober up for a moment and deal with me. Step one is about facing my, my demons. And then they said, Well, we have a solution. Chapter called There's a Solution, right? They throw it, they talk about they just give us a taste of what that's going to look like, but they're clear in that chapter about the great fact and nothing less than this, that we will have deep and effective spiritual experiences which will revolutionize my entire life. Everything I walked in here with will flip. The way I see, the way I speak, the way I hear who I be will flip. And God's doing the flipping. Everything I came in here with has to be lost. Lost, everything has to be lost. In finding God, less self, more God; more self, less God. What am I going to do? Step two, they pointed, they they gave me a solution, that I'm going to get to a place, came to believe that a power greater than me could restore me to sanity, wholeness of mind, truth, God. And when my wills align with this power, and God's doing my thinking for me, I don't have time to be thinking about a drink, because I have a, a, a walk to do. It's an arrival. There's a point where we'll get to experience this power greater than me that's going to restore me to wholeness of mind. Sanity. The insanity for me was not what happened to me when I'm on a drunk. The insanity insanity is before I pick up a drink. It's what's going on with me. When I pick up a drink, I didn't relapse. I picked up a drink. I'm on a drunk now. The relapse happens while we're sitting in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and we're sideways. The relapse happens when I go home to the wife after leaving the girlfriend. I'm sideways. The relapse happens when I'm cheating on my boss or I'm doing things that don't represent what God wants for us, does not that direct conflict to a spiritual life. I've relapsed. It's just a matter of boom when that's going to happen. Picking up, it's over. Now I'm on a drunk, I'm on a run. It starts now, sitting in AA and meetings, and it's the unmanageability second half for the first step again. What's going to happen to me? What happened to me when I surrendered to this God? And okay, God, you restore me to sanity, preparing me to turn everything over to God in step three. My perceptions about God were distorted. My problems with God were mine. There's no problems with God towards me or towards you or towards us. It was me towards God. So I had to get a new set of conceptions and ideas about this God. And I was a God fighter. So they told me simple things. G O D, good early direction from a group of drunks. The meetings were my higher power at the beginning. And that was enough to get me catapulted to experience a oneness with my own God. Turns out a bunch of years later, it's the same God I grew up with, just a whole different set of conceptions. Not a punishing God anymore, not a damning God. In fact, it's not even a fair God. My belief system, well, God is fair. Really? If God was a fair God, I would not be here tonight based on the nonsense I did. Fair God is all the people, the civilians out there who are doing good, who are doing the right thing, they get Shangri La. Look at your track record, keep going. Pete Marinelli, hold on a second. I got your chart. <laughs> right? Fair God means I do good, I get there. I know someone who went to the cross for guys like me. But in all loving God, no opposite, ah, different instantly forgiven let's turn the page and keep walking an all love no opposite God that I can get because when I came to AA that's what I was experiencing they didn't care where I had been and what I had become they just said welcome we're here for you They were representing God. They were representing the glory of God in the sacred rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Group of junks, good only direction. Okay, I can get that. You're real. You're tangible. I can have coffee with you. You can take me home. You can give me some direction. You'll pick me up tomorrow. This guy's here. I get it. And then it connected. He's working for God. We're agents for God. Effective agents for God. We represent God. How cool is this? He could have gave this message to anyone. Great minds in the world. Prophetic people. I'm going to give it to another drunk. Because we know loneliness as few do. We know what it's like being down there and he gave us a way out. Jacob's ladder, follow me, let's go. Hmm? What a good deal. But it was an arrival. There were some conditions to be met. There were some requirements that I had to meet besides the requirement of being a member of AA. chop wood, carry water. So I had a conception of God at the beginning that was a group of junks for good or direction. Somewhere after the decision in three, somewhere in four through nine, something happened on his time, not mine, where I felt the oneness and the nearness of my creator, which is what the fifth step promises talk about. There wasn't me and God. There was God. And I was a part of that equation. And then I start to recognize, you're part of the same equation. We're connected. Like it or not, we're connected. We come from the same God. Whatever your God is, the same God. And he put us in AA. How am I doing? Am I bearing witness for someone who's sick and suffering one day or 20 years? That's the great news we shout in the meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous about God and AA, the 12 steps in AA, our big book, and our sacred fellowship, which for me was a band-aid and an open wound when I got here. I had nothing. I was embarrassing to look at. And AA said, just come in, sit down with us. We're going to take you to a diner too. They didn't care what I looked like. You're with us now. We got you. We're going to hold you up. We're going to carry you, which is what they did. All for fun and for free. What a place. That's all I got. Peace.